Hello, and thank you for listening to the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal podcast. The Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal is co-sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators and the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. My name is Eva Thanheiser, and I'm talking with Asli Özgün Kocha, Jennifer Lewis, and Tom Edwards from Wayne State University. We will be discussing the article Fostering Middle School Teachers' Mathematical Knowledge for Teaching via Analysis of Tasks and Student Work, published in the September 2020 issue of the Mathematics Teacher Educator. We will begin by summarizing the main points of the article and discuss in more depth the lessons they share in the article, their successes and challenges, and how these lessons relate to their other work. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Glad to be here. So let's jump right in. Can you give us a brief summary of the article, including the results? Uh, what we tried to accomplish in this study was the designing a professional development to cultivate teachers' mathematical knowledge for teaching, specifically focused on the proportional reasoning and with uh, twin tasks of analysis of tasks and analysis of student work on those tasks. And we were also trying to target the specific domains of mathematical knowledge of teaching as the uh, knowledge of content and teaching and knowledge of content and students. This study was a mathematics science partnership grant supported by Michigan Department of Education. And we mainly work with uh, middle school teachers where the proportional reasoning uh, starts in the curriculum. And um, since the teachers moved or on and so on, we had uh, from grades five to maybe one or two high school teachers in throughout the study. It was, uh, it was 18 months in, in the duration and over 100 hours of professional development that the teachers went through. And then we were able to see the teachers improved their mathematical knowledge of teaching through some quantitative data, but also more mainly in the qualitative uh, data as well. So as you were talking, I was trying to figure out because you said twin tasks and you said knowledge of teaching and knowledge of students, correct? And so I was knowledge wondering... Of content and teaching. Content and teaching and content and students. And I was wondering if that maps one-to-one -to, -one to task and student work. The aim was like that. It was, it was we were trying to target teachers' uh, knowledge and content and teaching with the analysis of tasks. Okay. And the knowledge of content and students with the students' work analysis. But uh, you will see in the article, those are, again, so intertwined and difficult. It was difficult to parse out. Uh, when we were even trying to code some, some of our data. Okay, and your findings were that the teachers who participated developed their mathematical knowledge for teaching? Improved, yeah. Okay, all right, so who should read this article? Well, we think, first of all, that uh, mathematics teacher educators, like ourselves, would profit from reading the article. And also school personnel, such as supervisors or directors of mathematics, any school personnel who deliver professional development to their mathematics teachers. And then finally, mathematics teacher leaders, almost in any, any school that has a sizable department, say a half a dozen or more math teachers, there are going to be at least one sort of leader, whether it's recognized by the school or just recognized by the rest of the, by the, rest of the staff. 
So I think you mentioned three audiences, math teacher educators like ourselves who are just having this conversation, professional development providers, and teacher leaders. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And so I'm now quick, let's... I'm just going to quickly add yeah. the professional development providers includes consultants in the school, uh, ISDs, intermediate school districts as well. Sounds good. So let's jump into the meat of this. What is the problem of practice or issue that you're addressing? There are a number of issues that we were hoping to address through this study. One was the knowledge, both the content knowledge and the knowledge for teaching proportional reasoning. Peg Stein actually once said at one of the AMTE conferences that, in a sense, all of mathematics boils down to proportional reasoning. Whether that's true or not, it is certainly very central. And we thought that it's very important, especially in early years of middle school. So we, want, we knew we wanted to focus on that. But in addition, we wanted to design a kind of professional development that would not only be sort of that wouldn't only show measurable results at the end of the professional development work, but that would actually infuse practice. And so a big part of this design was thinking about how we anchor the work of the professional development in ideas and concrete materials that will actually walk into schools with teachers once they're out of the professional development. And that's how we got to task. So the idea of finding things that teachers find both mathematically challenging, interesting, relevant to what they do, and usable in the classroom with students once they're past the professional development experience was one of the big challenges that we were working on. So the challenge was connecting the professional development to what teachers actually do in the classroom? Correct. And that's how we got to the centrality of task, really. Okay. So later I'm going to ask you once we're through the next few questions, how did what you do actually address this problem? So it'll be interesting to cycle back to that. All right. So tell us a little bit of how you did that. What's the innovation and how that does the innovation address this problem? The really innovative thing we think that we did is sort of this two-pronged approach to the problem. Having particularly middle school mathematics teachers analyze proportional reasoning tasks, and then use those tasks that they have just had just analyzed with their own students, and then finally, analyzing their students' work. And the point of that approach was to try to get them to connect, I think we said this earlier, connect on the one hand, their content knowledge of, for teaching, and on the other hand, their content knowledge for students. It just seems like that uh, in doing so, if we, could, uh, if we could have a positive effect, and we certainly thought that we would, on their uh, content knowledge for teaching and their content knowledge for uh, uh, content knowledge of students, that uh, those two components would build on their mathematical content knowledge. So in the paper that you have, there's a uh, figure one that really nicely maps out uh, knowledge of content and teaching and knowledge of content and students and how those like are parsed apart. And then there's a figure two that is titled the task implementation protocol. Would you say that that task Im implementation protocol is your innovation or is a piece of your innovation 
Yes, I would say it's part of our innovation. In that figure two, we try to share our cycle, cycle of uh, choosing a task by the uh, teachers. And the teachers share their reasons of choosing a task and addressing like how that task is going to accomplish in their classroom, discussing sometimes it's the uh, knowledge of content and teaching and uh, at the same time discussing knowledge of uh, content and students. And then hear from each other, like if that task will accomplish their aim. And then administering or doing the task with their students and sharing their analysis of student work, what happened. And then revising the task according to the analysis of the uh, student work. And then again, sharing the revision of the task with their peer teachers, get their opinion, and then administer. Again, it's it's, it's all about that cycle, which uh, again combines the analysis of task and the analysis of student work. You just nicely talked us through what is in this figure two, so that cycle. So you said earlier you had uh, grades five teachers through grade nine teacher. (laughs) So... Did they all implement the same task? How did that work? We asked them to do both. Two times throughout the PD, we we chose a task together and everybody implemented the same task with their students. And then they bring the student work in in our one of face-to-face sessions and they exchange student work to analyze. That's why they were a little bit distanced from the student work that they can look at the, and analyze the student work. We did that twice on two different tasks. And uh, the figure two, the, the protocol that I explained happened like once where they choose the task by themselves, only administer their own students, revise, re-administer, re-analyze the student work. Yes, we and did the, both. The goal, I'm assuming, of the PD is for them to learn how to do this in their own tasks, right? Right. But maybe do it together so that you kind of get a sense for what it is before you do your own. I think we'd be remiss if we if we didn't mention that um, very early in the professional development, when we were meeting with the teachers, we selected or they selected tasks and they all worked on them in the professional development sessions. And then they shared out their responses and in, in analyzing some of that, collect, that, that qualitative data that, that we talked about, it was pretty clear that a great many of the, the teachers noted how they had learned from each other, that they had, in doing that work with each other, they had seen approaches to a proportional reasoning test that had never occurred to them before. And I think that, that, that having done that really set them up for this idea of, of uh, letting the kids do the tasks and then analyzing and seeing that amongst their students, the the same sort of variety of approaches. So experiencing what it's like to actually implement that later is a part of what you did as well. Thanks. And I I think it also bears mentioning that this notion of implementing a task from your mandated curriculum was part of what we did. It wasn't all of what we did in part because when we think about what teachers do every day, most of them, for the most part, are following curricula that have been given to them and that they're expected to do and in some places required to do. And so we wanted for teachers to have the most robust experience of that possible. So 
not just sort of plodding through the materials, but actually going through this protocol where you use the task, you then examine the student work, and then you think about how would I revise the task in light of what my students are doing and what would I do the next day? And we think that that pretty closely follows what teachers do sort of inside and outside of professional development. And that was one of the ways that we tried to, to anchor the work that we were doing in the professional development in what their regular work life would be. Uh, let me ask you the question. How did you connect to prior literature? For ourselves, I think this is, and in fact, rereading the article again today reminded me how deeply this is connected to the mathematical knowledge for teaching literature. That's very, very much where these ideas grew from. So for ourselves, that was the literature that we were drawing on sort of in our research design and in thinking about what it was we were trying to do. For the teachers, I think actually a lot of the literature they were reading was proportional reasoning. It was about proportional reasoning as a content area and task analysis of different proportional reasoning tasks. And there were also, I think, teachers also read about problem-solving approaches and helping students develop multiple strategies and, and that kind of thing, sort of the standards for mathematical practice more broadly. But there was a lot about proportional reasoning specifically. Okay, so let's jump into the research part of the study. What were your research questions that you asked to document that this cycle and this connecting the PD to the practice actually worked? Yes, we tried to figure out by using authentic mathematical tasks and using them with students and analyzing both the, the tasks and the student work how teachers MKT grows, if at all. And, but then also, again, specifically focusing on the specific portions of MKT as the KCT and KCS. Can you say a few words what you mean by authentic task? Our focus on, on authentic tasks, uh, at least in part, comes from my 20-plus year collaboration with uh, Dr. Ken Chelst, who's an operations researcher in our Department of uh, System Engineer, Industrial and Systems Engineering. And uh, his big thing in connecting with school mathematics is getting authentic problems. I'll give you a, a proportional reasoning example. So we've all seen a question like, there are 30 students in a classroom. 60% of them are boys. How many boys are in the classroom? Or how many girls are in the classroom for that matter? That's common. We've all seen problems like that. That's one of the most asinine questions that you could possibly ask because I would ask a question and my question would be, if there's 30 students in the class, how did you know that 60% of them were boys if you didn't know that there were 18 boys? So you've asked a question that you have to know already the answer to or else you couldn't have posed the question. And the textbooks are just loaded with inauthentic types of questions like that. So we try to couch the, uh, our work in, in authentic problems that won't believe me. If I could come up with that realization about that problem that I just mentioned, trust me, there are kids, middle school kids, who can come up with the same, the same thing. So it's not only don't ask questions that you already know the answer to, but it's Don't ask questions that don't make any sense. Don't ask questions where if you can't think 
pretty easily of a reason why someone might want to know the answer to the question. That's probably not a good question, probably not a solid question. Could you give an example of an authentic problem? You could take that, that uh, number of students and a, and a percentage and say that there were a certain number of boys and a certain number of girls and they were going to play basketball or they were going to play softball or some sport. And you wanted to have the various different teams to be fair in the sense of, of having the same proportion of boys and girls on each team. Then using that idea to find the to find out first of all what what is the the proportion of boys and girls, and then dividing up the total number in across say four teams so that the so that you achieve the goal. So there's a reason for doing that, and you okay, are still so same content. I don't like it when academics do this. I'm I can't believe I'm about to say this, but we've written about this elsewhere about remodeling problems. In that problem that Tom was just talking about, we actually took out the boys and girls and made it fifth graders and sixth graders because we became more and more uncomfortable with all the sort of these gender binary and like and also these assumptions what like boys are stronger in basketball, like maybe not. You know, the all of that. So that was an example where not only did we change the purpose of the question when we remodeled those math questions, but we also changed the social context and the material that it was about. So I think there's a lot that goes into thinking carefully about these tasks. That was something that was not a central focus in this professional development program, but certainly present. One more thing was the also make the questions in a decision-making question instead of the answer is four like making a decision based on that solution at the end. I think you'll see in the, some of the student teachers' quotes in the article that definitely resonated with them as well. So just want to, first of all, thank you, Jennifer, for pointing out the issue with the gender binary. And I just wanted to add to that, that not only is it addressing a difference between labeling boys and girls, but it makes a lot of people invisible who do not identify as either or. And so I think being careful about those, and it's so easy to change it, right, to fifth graders and sixth graders, mm -hmm. so that right. it's not that difficult right. to do. Was there some challenges that you had before we jump into evidence? The one that we really uh, remember, it one that again resonated with us was like when we had also problems that we created for teachers themselves, just focusing on to improve their content knowledge, again, focusing on the proportional reasoning. But it was so difficult sometimes to make them just work on the problems for their own mathematical learning and mathematics doing, because they were always like, oh, I can use this problem with my students next day. I said, no, 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 no. Aim is for you to do this task for you now. These tasks are not for your students. These are for you. That was really challenging just to say, these are for you. And we will talk about that, but you can think about how we model and then how we uh, bring out the question to you and how we discuss the, the, your responses and so on, but the task itself for them. And it, was, it, was, it took a lot of time to just to convince them those tasks for them, for them only. That is yeah. a problem I'm very familiar with, you know, teaching prospective teachers because we all assume that elementary math is easy and that we already know it and getting beyond that and really engaging 
with the mathematics. And I, after having done this for like millions of decades, I'm still learning things every time I work with my students. So I so relate to that problem. Let's jump to the evidence. What evidence do you present that convinces you and via you us that what you did worked? I believe we mentioned just briefly as an aside in the paper that we did have the, the, uh, the teachers take the LMT, and, uh, which is a measure of their mathematical, mathematical knowledge for teaching. And, and, uh, and there was a, at the, we had them take it, I believe, in the fall and then again in the, in the spring, and there was a statistically significant positive difference but uh, I think we learned the most from the qualitative data, you know, from what they wrote. We coded all the data and then used the codes to look for trends and so forth. And that qualitative data was, was we were able to largely teacher participants' quotes. And that was, uh, much of that was, was uh, shared in the article to, uh, but anytime we quoted the teacher in the article, that, that was like an exemplar, but there were other there were, were other teachers who said essentially the same thing, but maybe not in, in uh, quite the same way. You mentioned the LMT, and just for those who maybe aren't familiar with it, that's a multiple choice assessment that is now available digitally that you can give to your students, and it spits out a response. I mean, it's fantastic. I've used that as well. Mm -hmm. So that's available, and I'm assuming that it, the article has a link to it if anybody's interested where to find that. So you said there was differences in that measure, but I think like, I would like to understand a little bit better the qualitative pieces. What were the themes that you noticed? Or like, can you explain a little bit more about the qualitative results? For instance, we um, analyzed their analysis of student work or their discussions of analysis of tasks and responding to each other's tasks and so on. Like just looking at a task, for example, we saw one team was uh, how authentic the task was, was one of the main discussions that they're having, how motivating the tasks for students to do. And, um, and when we came to do, uh, comparing the, what they bring out when they analyze a task, again, at the beginning, I say we were able to see knowledge of content and teaching, knowledge of content and students. And even within one sentence, both, both of whom were mentioned by a teacher says, I use this out because of my students, but also I'm at this uh, space because I'm, I want to go next topic and making connections between how they built the mathematical topics and building each other and where their students are to address that. And that being able to see that, I think it was, it was very nice for, from our perspective. And probably shouldn't have surprised us that we had that much difficulty because knowledge of content for teaching, knowledge of content for students, you can't teach without students. You can't be a student without a teacher. So they are, in a sense, two sides of the same coin. But it was, there really were the, not, only, not only sentences with both in them, but uh, sentences where it was very difficult to decide which was it. <laughs> Well, I think even the developers of the framework are stating that it's really hard to parse them apart. Mm -hmm. So the framework is useful as in understanding that these are all pieces of it, 
but we don't need to necessarily categorize every single statement into one or the other. Yeah, absolutely. We make mention of that in the article that really these are analytical categories. They're not maps of reality. They're ways to help us understand what's happening, but they're in reality that it's all a mush and this is all related and it's all in the territory of mathematical knowledge for teaching, but there aren't really hard and fast lines. Okay, so let's jump into the contributions. What contributions does your work do to our field? So having just said that these analytical categories don't really correspond to reality, I think I can still say that one contribution is that we were able to design targeted professional development for particular domains of mathematical knowledge for teaching. And that was something that our data showed to be successful. And I'm not sure how much that has been done and particularly not in the area of proportional reasoning. So we think that idea of being pretty surgical about what you're trying to do in professional development around domains of mathematical knowledge for teaching is one contribution. I think for us also this idea of incorporating an engineering approach to mathematical tasks was quite interesting. It definitely shifted the way that the three of us think about the tasks that we do in mathematics and ways of taking a task and making small changes to it that preserve the mathematical content, but improve it, make it more relevant and socially responsible. Also that idea of of being mindful of design professional development that actually lives in practice afterwards was pretty important to us. And I, I think both theoretically, we've worked that out a little bit and naming that tasks and the implementation of tasks and the implementation, not just of fancy tasks that are developed for these boutique experiences, but, but actually the mundane tasks that show up in your textbook, like using those well. I think that was something that's a contribution. And finally, sort of operationalizing that idea of proportional reasoning for teachers and for teaching. And yet again, I think that that follows a long tradition of work that's been done. And this maybe takes that just a teeny step forward. So really, it seems to me as I'm listening to this response, but also reflecting on the whole podcast, that you're at the intersection of work on noticing, right, with student thinking, work on task design and the task design cycle, and work on proportional reasoning. And you're pushing each of these fields forward in a little bit. Oh, sorry. And mathematical knowledge for teaching. Of course, that underlies everything. But um, yeah, there's so many connections to so many different things as I'm listening. That just blows my mind. So having this figure two protocol that you have, I think is really useful because it allows any reader of the paper to kind of know, okay, so these are the steps that I need to do. And the connecting to the teacher's practice is in there based on like, they pick the task based on their own textbooks or situation. And then they work with their own students to bring in the student work. So I think in some sense, that one piece, like with all the description around it is a really cool thing that people can take and do. And I wanted to ask you, how do you see other people replicating what you have been doing? 
thanks to the journal and the publication of the article in the journal, we were just contacted by a postdoctoral researcher in Tasmania who said she wants to replicate the work in algebra and functions. So I think one idea is to be thinking, how is this applicable to other mathematical topics? I think that's one one thing that actually I don't think any of us would have thought of. Hang on before you go into more. Do you think that it will be different in a different mathematical content? Or do you think it would pretty be pretty much similar? Like, what are your thoughts? Or do you not know? It's an open question. It would be hard to know for sure without, without having done so. I was just sitting here thinking before we even mentioned that, that, that it seems to me that we could use this in a different, Different, uh, in a different domain of, of mathematics. We chose uh, proportional reasoning because we were working, we had the grant to work with middle school teachers. And we know that proportional reasoning is a, a very important area of middle school mathematics and uh, is also an area that, that many mathematics teachers in the, middle, in the middle grades struggle with. But it seems to me that something with algebra and functions or something even just with functions would be eminently doable in this way. I think like the implementation protocol maybe stay the same, but the work that we tried, we did to support teachers' content knowledge, like for example, we spent so much time on tape diagrams to do some proportional reasoning to be able to help them use the different representations or help students thinking through different representations or in interpret students' representations and so on. I think the, the work around it to support teachers' content knowledge would change, has to change. Yeah, so for example, with the algebra and functions, one thing that you could do at the start would be to take a look at how mathematicians in the past have, have defined the term function. And, uh, you know, beginning, I think it first appears in probably the late 17th century as a mathematical term, and then have the discussions about why or why not does that definition from, from the past fit with today's understanding. What I'd hope that the mathematics teachers who would take part in that activity would come away with is the, the knowledge about how the function concept has developed over centuries, literally, and how it's changed in that development. And the definition that we use that you can find in almost every textbook, high school or college that deals with functions and bothers to define the term, that definition dates from the early 20th century. It's barely 100 years old. Mathematics is something that's developed over the century. So I'm, I'm sure that the same thing could happen with, with other typical school mathematics concepts. So I want to come back to something, Jennifer, that you said earlier that I just want to take a minute and address. You said you hate, you're doing something that you hate that other people do. And I just wanted to say, no, we need to do this. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you, Actually, so how does this work relate to other work you did and other things out there that people who are interested in this work might look up? So please promote yourselves right now. So actually, it's funny because I didn't think of these things as related until this podcast and your very interesting questions. But I think in other places, we have written about the nature of a good mathematical task and how we remodel it actually, and not to beat a dead horse here, but we were amazed at how many questions in 
routine textbooks, the mathematics textbooks are about boys versus girls. It was just stunning. And to think about not only, as you mentioned, Eva, that how that leaves children out or makes them feel erased or not whole, but also just like the gender stereotyping that goes on, everything about it, it just, it was that kind of thing. But also this notion of asking a mathematical question that actually helps you and that you're not just answering because the textbook asks you to. So that's nice that you bring that up because I did want to ask a follow-up question to I think Ashley mentioned that earlier that where you're solving the task to make a decision, I think was the word used. And I don't care who answers it, but can you say a little more about that and give an example? I'll jump on that because that came from my work with Ken Chelst. We've uh, self-published three different textbooks, one for middle school, two for high school. We used to be a group and we used to call the group or call ourselves uh, the Mathematics of Decision-Making in Industry and Government. And we were sponsored at that time by INFORMS, which is the Institute for uh, INFORMS. Anyway, it's the Operations Researchers uh, Professional Group. One of the things that we were after is answering the age-old question that sometimes gets posed out loud, but, but not always. When will, we ever use, when will I ever use this? And so we tried to set up the question so that there was a decision. So if we go back to the, now that I'm remembering, now that Jenny's reminded me, the, the fifth grade, sixth grade proportion problem to make sure the teams would have a, the same number or the same proportion of fifth and sixth graders across the, uh, across the board, the heart of that context was decision-making. You had to decide how many fifth graders and how many sixth graders to put on each team. I'm trying to rephrase what you said. So rather than asking what percentage is fifth graders or sixth graders, which seems to be a question that we're just asking to ask a math question, the question being posed is if we wanted teams to have the same number of fifth and sixth graders or the same relation. So I'm not asking what is it, but asking if the teams are going to be the same how many fifth graders would I need? Is that the difference or, or between? Or how could you form fair teams? Okay. I'm not sure that it was quite clear to me earlier what the distinction was. Like, for example, one task that we created for teachers, it was the light bulbs. Very detailed information about light, different kind of light bulbs and their, how long they, that you can use, how many hours you can get from it. Like, would you change your light bulbs in the house, all of them. Like it's lots of data and after mathematical task and the question says, would you change? <laughs> so incandescent, fluorescent and uh, LED bulbs and uh, the price per bulb and the average life. And uh, what else do we give them? The, 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 uh, you had to, we had to give them some information on for, the, for a particular location the average number of hours per day that that light was lit. As also said, the decision is, should I switch from incandescent or which of the three should I choose? Which would be the cheapest? I think that one of the tasks that has this like decision-making character to it is in the article where a student is being hired for a summer job or going to make some combination of like lifeguarding and working at the canteen. I don't remember what the choices are. First of all, there isn't one right answer. And it's all in towards the purpose of making a decision that would fit for you. And that maybe it feels like a small distinction, but it's different than saying back what the 
textbook wants you to get right. Like the idea that it actually will help you make some decision is something that we learned from Ken and Tom's work. And it was the teacher's revision version, that multiple options and decision-making. And the original textbook question was just how much a babysitter earn, kind of. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give you a chance to say or promote one more thing, and then I'm going to need to wrap us up. So is there anywhere that you could send people to read up some more of your work? Tom, you mentioned the self-published. Do you want to name the title or you holding it up, which the podcast holding it up. are not going to be able to. Be able, let's see. Can you read the title? Yeah, it's called From Percentages to Algebra Using Authentic Problem Contexts. This is aimed at middle school. I'm sure you can find it on Amazon. Okay. And then there are actually a couple of other articles that we published out of this particular project. One was published in middle uh, mathematics teaching. In teaching. School. That was about fostering perseverance problem solving. That was kind of a cool one. We published in a British journal, I believe. Mathematics, about mathematics teaching, it's called. And that's a framework for mathematics problems and this idea of developing authentic mathematics problems in the ways that we described earlier. Oh, that sounds cool. Thank you so much for joining us today. We thank you for having us. It was really great. Nice to see you. And it's been our pleasure. And for further information on this topic, you can find the article on the Mathematics Teacher Education website. This has been your host, Eva Thenheiser. Thank you for listening and goodbye.